Hi, and welcome to Him We Proclaim, the Bible teaching of John Fonville. We're picking up with our liturgy series called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. The next stop in our study is about prayer. According to John, one of the benefits of studying the older liturgies is how they foster reverence and worship. We're going to be studying one of those ancient liturgies today called the Collect for Purity. And John will explain there's a strong pattern that reminds us we're not alone when we pray individually. Instead, we're joined with past, present, and future prayers. And these liturgies teach us more about the God we pray to. Here's John with a message called The Colic for Purity, Part 2. I'll never forget, I walked into a church one time, and the pastor took a box of um, Krispy Kreme donuts. He's eating this Krispy Kreme donut, and he says, you know, I really get concerned about pastors and churches who take their worship of God too seriously. I think we just need to lighten up and eat a donut. And then he proceeded to read a passage of God's judgment from the book of Isaiah. I just scratched my head and I got up and walked out. This ancient prayer helps put us in a proper frame of mind and prepare us for the worship that is ahead. What does it say about God? The Colic for Purity states that nothing can be hidden from God. To you, all hearts are open, all desires known. From you, no secrets are hid. How do you like that? Right? You can't hide your sin from God. You can't hide. He knows all. He sees all. He's present everywhere. This prayer, this colic for purity, reminds us in our preparation for worship that we are coming before the all-knowing, searching, omnipresence of God. We live quorum Deo, the whole life, our whole life in the presence of God. Whatever we do, whatever we think, whatever, however we act, whatever we say, it is all done under the eternal gaze of an all-knowing, ever-present God. There's no place so remote that we can escape his penetrating gaze. You cannot get away from that. And so we're reminded by this opening phrase in this ancient prayer that nothing can be hidden from God and that our hearts are an open book before God. What a way to come to worship, right? Before Adam and Eve sinned, the biblical account says that they were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, as a little kid, you used to chuckle about that or whatever, but here's the point. To be naked and not ashamed before God is to be fully exposed, to be an open book with your whole life before God and have no fear and shame and guilt to hide from. They were living fully exposed to the all-knowing, searching, omnipresence of God. They lived in full view of God. Nothing was hidden from God. Their hearts were an open book. Yet when they sinned, listen to Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, a tragedy occurred. These tragic and sorrowful words, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound, the voice of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And you've heard me before. That is not a question of location. It is a question of judgment. Where are you in relationship to me now, Adam, that you have broken my covenant? 
And Adam said, I heard your voice, the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I was fully exposed to your all-gazing eye, and I was scared to death. And so I hid myself, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you, Adam, that you were fully exposed to my all-gazing eye? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? What a tragedy. This all-knowing, searching, omnipresence of God was now a source of fear for man. But the good news of the gospel is that God's all-searching presence does not have to be a threat if we are in Christ. Because when God asks us now this covenantal question, where are you? You respond to him, I am hidden in Christ. And you're covered. You're covered. I want you to turn to Psalm 139. And I want you to look at how David reflects on the omniscience and omnipresence of God in his private worship as he prays. And as David is reflecting on the omniscience and omnipresence of God, it is not a source of fear. It's not a threat to David. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even then, the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'm not afraid of you. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And yet God knows all. Look at these thoughts that he has. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, and O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So in light of God's omniscience, in light of God's omnipresence, as David's reflecting on these two attributes of God, he is not, it is not a threat to him 
It is a source of praise and comfort that God sees all and protects him from all of his enemies. Just as he protects us from our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He sees it all. He sees and knows us. He framed us in our inward parts. He knows it all. He's with us everywhere we go. And David says, it's not a threat. It is a preparation to say this. Look at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's private worship right there. That's worship. You see, if we are in Christ, we have no reason to hide and every reason to come out of hiding. We are covered in a perfect righteousness called the Son of God's perfect work on our behalf. We have no reason to hide. The Apostle John, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, don't hide. Listen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We don't lose our privacy, and it's not a threat to us when we come before the all-knowing gaze of God in worship. It is a comfort as he searches our hearts because we're in Christ. And it helps us. The truth is that God knows all we know about ourselves and more. He sees all and he knows all. And the colic for purity at the beginning of the liturgy helps us to take time to prepare our hearts to worship God with confidence because he gives us grace and mercy, but also with reverence and awe because he is an omniscient, omnipresent, consuming fire. Second, the colic for purity is a prayer for purification. This petition is made on the basis of God's omnipresence and his omniscient knowledge. And building on the truth of who God is and the fact that we live our lives in the presence of the all-seeing gaze of God, the petition makes this request. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the working of your Holy Spirit. It's following Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Cleanse the thoughts of my heart by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit as I come before you this morning. Work in me by your Holy Spirit. That's what we're praying. You see, the colic for purity continues with this petition to the Holy Spirit to cleanse us. It teaches us that sanctification is a work of God's grace and a work of the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. It perfectly aligns with the teaching on sanctification in the Westminster Standards. What is sanctification? It says that sanctification is a gift of God's grace, a work of God's grace by the powerful operation of the Holy Spirit. You see, sanctification is a grace. It is a gift from the gift giver just as much as your justification, just as much as your glorification. It is a gift. And the means of receiving that gift is faith in Christ. And so Martin Luther was certainly correct when he taught that the human heart cannot of itself free itself from slavery to sin and to slavery to selfishness. And so we come before the Lord and we pray that we might be transformed by the powerful and gracious work of the Holy Spirit. 
And you see, because prayer is an aspect, an important aspect of our sanctification, it is the chief means by which we express our gratitude to God in sanctification. It's important to note how this ancient prayer recognizes the necessary work of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Why did the early fathers put this in the prayer? Cleanse us by the working of your Holy Spirit. Here's why. Because they wanted to teach the church to keep the practice of prayer from becoming a legalistic burden that cannot promote godliness. You cannot sanctify yourself. Let me say it like this. You cannot save yourself. Sanctification is a work of God's grace, gift through the working of the Holy Spirit. And it is the work of Christ's Spirit in us that enables us to do what we strive to do, to come alive in vivification to God, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the mortification of the flesh. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to strive to do these things in conforming our life to godliness. Moralism doesn't work. This is why the psalmist prays in Psalm 143, verse 10. Listen to what he prays. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. The spirit doesn't lead us. We're not going to walk on level ground. Teach me to do your will. You see, the fact is Christians sin, and they sin often. And so this petition leads us to pray that we may be cleansed from all those things that we might wish to remain hidden. And so we need to learn to make quick confession of our sin and to pray like David prayed, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And so the colic for purity is exactly appropriate for the beginning of the worship and the liturgy because we want to be enabled to worship God with pure hearts, empowered by the Holy Spirit, powerfully working, present among us, leading us to confess and receive cleansing of our sin. Then the third is that the collect for purity is a prayer for conformation, being conformed. It's a prayer of preparation. It's a prayer of purification. It's a prayer of conformation. What is the result or the fruit of asking the Holy Spirit to cleanse or sanctify our hearts? This is what the result or the fruit is. That we may perfectly love you, that's God, and our neighbor, and worthily magnify your holy name. Let me ask you a question. What is the end result of your sanctification? Often people say, well, I'm going to be like Christ. Well, that's exactly right. You will be. But let's dig a little bit deeper. What does it look like to keep God's law? It looks like Christ. Jesus was the perfect man who kept every jot and tittle of God's law. His life was lived in perfect conformation to the moral law of God, fulfilled every aspect of it. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby the Holy Spirit slowly, yes, it is slow, I understand, but surely conforms our hearts and lives to God's law, the great commandment, which you hear every week. Jesus gives a summary of it to us in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what this prayer is praying. It prays this prayer. The result of the Holy Spirit sanctifying and cleansing our hearts is that we might perfectly love God, perfectly love our neighbor, worthily magnify God's holy name to bring us into conformity to what God's law requires of us. Now, to be sure, even the holiest of believers in this life have a very, very small beginning of disobedience. Very small. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, all believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, right, given a new nature and regeneration, now becoming alive to God in Christ with earnest purpose, they begin to live not according to some. They're not antinomian. They don't pick and choose which laws they like and which they don't. They love God's law with all their hearts, Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. They don't begin to pick and choose to live according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. Again, the problem is not God's law. The problem is we can't keep it. I love it. I just can't keep it perfect yet, right? But with all my heart, I want to. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gift of grace, I'm striving toward that. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, but nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God in me. And so here is the brilliance of this prayer. Loving God, loving our neighbor, and glorifying God with all that we are is what his moral law requires of us. But this prayer also acknowledges that this gift comes from the gift giver who gifts to us in the Holy Gospel and by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit what the law requires and eventually our life will be fully conformed to this prayer. So it's a prayer of confirmation. Here's the fourth and final thing. This calling for purity is a prayer of exaltation. Listen to how it concludes. It says, we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, Amen. This collect of purity is a Trinitarian prayer. All Christian prayer, all genuine prayer is Trinitarian prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, how did Jesus teach us to pray? He says, when you pray, pray saying, our Father in heaven. That is a Trinitarian prayer. It is through Jesus that the Father is revealed to us, as Jesus says to Philip. Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven. We pray to God as our Father through Christ our Savior by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That, again, is one of the benefits of the older liturgies in the church. What do they do? What does this little simple form of prayer teach you every week? It teaches you, it provides you a framework for your prayers to the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. It makes you self-consciously a Trinitarian Christian. It gives you the knowledge of God. Remember, how we know God greatly affects how we approach him in prayer. T.F. Torrance says this, 
He says, to know God is to be lifted out of ourselves, as it were, into God until we know him and love him and enjoy him in the eternal reality as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Until we know him in such a way that the Trinity enters into the fundamental fabric of our thinking of him and constitutes the basic grammar of our worship and knowledge of the one God. And then last and finally as we finish, this collect for purity is not only a Trinitarian prayer, it's a gospel prayer. This prayer concludes in the name of Christ. Why is that? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why does it do that? Because it's reminding us and shaping and teaching and forming us to remember that it is through Jesus alone that we draw near to the Father. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Jesus is our high priest who intercedes for us, mediates our coming into the presence of God safely. And the author says, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Jesus intercedes for us. And he opens to us the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies as our high priest. And as you've heard this morning from 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is our advocate. That's a legal term from the Roman court system. A legal advocate appeared in court on behalf of his client. Jesus, John says, appears in heaven for us before the Father as an advocate with the Father on our behalf. And so we have this double sense of his priestly intercession, his legal representation on our behalf. He intercedes for us, and we're not heard. And this is the comfort that I have for my prayer life as we finish. We're not heard by God because our prayers are so good. I've never prayed a perfect prayer. I never will. But it's heard anyway. Our prayers are not effective because of how loud we get. Our prayers are not effective because of how emotional we are. Our prayers are not effective because of how expressive we become. Our prayers are heard and accepted and received and answered. They are effective solely because of the mediation of Christ. Here's the best way I've learned to illustrate this in my own life. I've got six kids. In my study, I have some of their artwork, and they'll take pencils or colored pens or whatever, and they'll make their art. And I'm looking at it, and it's just like a scribbled mess, right? <laughs> it's not a Van Gogh. That's my life before the Father. But Jesus mediates it, and he makes it a Van Gogh. That's my prayer life. That's your prayer life. And Jesus looks at it and says, oh, I love that. Because it mediates through my son and it just sounds beautiful. 
finish with this. The great 17th century Scottish preacher, Walter Marshall, he says this, it is the gospel that makes prayer possible. Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, by whom justification and sanctification are promised, is also the mediator who makes your prayers accepted by the Father. The Holy Spirit, who gives you the new birth, who unites you to Christ, who sanctifies you, and who shows you the things of Christ, he is a spirit of prayer. The Holy Spirit is like a fire inflaming your soul. And the Holy Spirit makes you mount upward in prayer to God. This is what the Collect of Purity is intended to do for the church each week. It's a prayer of preparation, of purification, of confirmation. And it is a Trinitarian exaltation to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Collect for Purity, Part 2. We'll hear more from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.